Turn, if you would, to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. We continue our study through the book of Matthew. As I said, we kind of slowed down when we hit the Sermon on the Mount. We will be here for a while. I think we've done about nine lessons so far, going through the Beatitudes one by one. So, chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Last week we talked about persecution. We would like to think that if we followed all the Beatitudes, if we were merciful, if we hungered and thirsted after righteousness, if we did all these things, the world would just think great things of us. But the reality is Christ came into the world, came into the darkness of this world, and the world rejected him because the world loved the darkness. And if the world loves the darkness and they hated the light, they're going to hate those who worship Jesus Christ. We just have to accept that. So we ended last week with the discussion of, well, if the world is going to persecute us, wouldn't it be a good thing just to run away and hide? I mean, let's face it. Let's find us a little island somewhere. Let's find us some mountain in Colorado that nobody goes to. Let's go and hide there, and the world won't bother us. Except for one problem. We are commanded to have an influence in the world around us. And the passage we're dealing with today deals with two metaphors of the influence that we're supposed to have in the world. We are to be salt, and we are to be light. We are not to go hide ourselves away and stay out of trouble. So, let's look at these two metaphors. But before we do that, let's just get something out of the way, okay? I believe that government serves a function in our society. Government is instituted by God. We are told in Romans chapter 12 that the purpose of government is to restrain evil in the world. I believe in government. I am not an anarchist. An anarchist believes that government corrupts and all governments are bad and we need to do away with it. 
I remember being in a book uh, discussion group one time, and we read a book by Tolstoy, one of his nonfiction works. And if you've ever read one of his nonfiction works, you're reminded of what Paul Johnson says, that whenever you read one of Tolstoy's nonfiction, you wish he had spent more time writing fiction. (laughs) But he believed that all government was bad. If we get rid of government, all of us good people are going to do good things. And there was one member of the group who was convinced of this. Yeah, why do we need traffic laws? And I said, if we didn't have traffic laws, you wouldn't go on the street. Government serves a purpose in this world, but the government is not the light and the salt that is going to change society. We just finished a sermon series on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. What you may or may not have known is that October was also the 100th anniversary of what? The Bolshevik Revolution in uh, Russia. The czar had abdicated earlier in the year, and finally the the, uh, communists took over. They were going to make utopia on earth. And 60 to 100 million dead people later, it didn't work. It didn't. Government is not called to be the salt and the light of the earth. You are. I'm a big fan of education. I think all of us should be learning everything we can. We should be learning something new every day. But education is not the salt and light of this earth. That's you. There are those who believe the only reason that people do bad things is because they just don't know any better. And if I put in the right educational system, if I put in the best teacher in the best school, in the be- everything's going to be okay. No. But I'm not anti-education, and I'm not anti-government. Jesus came into the world to save the world. And for some really, really bizarre reason, the tools that he chose to use are you and me. You and I are the salt and the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You know, it's interesting. In our society today, salt is really cheap. I think I paid 48 cents for this. Okay? Salt is cheap, and in fact, salt is plentiful. In fact, most of us eat too much salt. Okay? I'm sitting there driving to class this morning, and I've got my daughter on her cell phone looking up facts, you know. The average American eats, what, 3,000-something milligrams of salt a day, and you're supposed to eat, like, what, 1,500? Eh, we eat lots of salt. But we forget that before the age of refrigeration, salt was how meat and things like that were preserved. Because if I take meat and just leave it sitting out, it's going to well, it's going to go really bad. It's going to decay, and the salt will stop that decaying process. Salt was a very important ingredient in pre-modern world because it stopped decay. It stopped decay, and it also added flavor to things. I mean, even the book of Job comments, how can you eat this tasteless food if you don't add salt to it? 
salt was exceptionally important. I had the opportunity one time to go actually in a salt mine. I mean, they were actually, you know, digging salt out of this mine. It was in Germany. And it's interesting because during World War II, the Germans took all their artifacts and hid them in the salt mines because they were very dry and the artwork would not be destroyed. So, you and I are the salt of the earth. What in the world does that mean? Well, we just said it. There are those who want to believe that the world in which we live is getting better and better and better, and given enough time, it's going to get to utopia. I think every one of us is probably old enough to know that's not going to happen. If you go to Romans chapter 1 and you looked at that downward spiral as people, as God gives them over to their sin, you see that people get worse and worse. They're not getting better and better. So what keeps them from getting more and more worse? (laughs) Worster. Isn't that what you put on steak? Worcestershire sauce? (laughs) What is it that keeps society from getting more evil than it would? It is the restraining power of God in the world today. We just mentioned one of it, the government. God actually installs government to keep people from being as bad as they would be without the restraining power of government. But that's not what's going to stop the problem. What is going to stop the decay in the meat? It's salt. What is going to stop the decay in the society around us? It is the salt of the earth. It is you. And it is me. Next week in our lesson, we're going to have a little refresher of where we started about who exactly is the Sermon on the Mount being preached to. But if you remember, because I just read it, he called his disciples to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Now, there's a crowd of people. And next week we're going to see there's a crowd of people and remember there's probably Pharisees on the fringe making sure that everything is right. We'll talk about them next week. But he's primarily addressing his disciples and those who will become his disciples. So he tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. If society is not going to decay, it's because of you and the action that you have in society. Notice that it does not say you ought to be the salt of the earth. It doesn't say that. It says you are the salt of the earth. The only option that you have is being good salt or being bad salt. But you don't have the option to not be salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, it's good for nothing. To the best of my knowledge and my reading around, you can't unsalt salt. Okay? I can pour this in a test tube 
and I can do all kinds of magic with it, and at the end of the day, it's going to be salt. That's what salt is. But what I can do is mix some of this salt into some dirt, and you're not going to touch it. You're not going to put it on your food. It's not going to be any good. So the salt loses its effectiveness when it is diluted with something else. Question, what would the salt be diluted with? The world. (gasps) In order for these metaphors to work, you are the salt and you are the light. In order for these metaphors to work, we have to be distinct from the world in which we live. If you had the time, if we had more discussion time, we could jump over to John chapter 15, 16, and 17, where John spends a lot of time, not John, Jesus, spends a lot of time talking about, you are my disciples, and I am leaving you in the world. But you are not of the world. If I wanted to, I could take you out of the world but I'm leaving you in the world because I've got something for you to do. But while you're in the world, make sure you don't become like the world. How do we become like the world? When we take the world's way of doing things, we put a Christian wrapper around them, and we begin to say, here is Christianity. And that's what we do all the time. I might add, this is actually a difficult discussion, what it means to be in the world but not of the world. You see, I speak the same language as the people around me speak. Does that mean I'm living in the world or of the world? I mean, let's face it, maybe I should speak Hebrew so I could be like Jesus. But then did Paul speak Greek? Oh, well. But you see, what that means is that we are using the language of this world to communicate the gospel to other people. You can go down to your village in Mexico and start telling them the gospel in English and they will probably stare at you. You could give it to them in French and they would really look bizarre. When we're sharing the gospel, we need to communicate in such a way that the world understands. And that's okay. In fact, that's expected. But when I start taking the gospel message and converting it to something else in order to appease the world, for example, I stop talking about hell because, you know, let's face it, Talking about hell is pretty, uh, well, it's just rude. Let's just not do it. (laughs) I had a friend who was a devout atheist, and he was, he laughed at the fact that his wife believed in heaven, but his wife did not believe in hell. And even the atheist said, that doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) If you're going to believe one, you've got to believe the other. Yet, yet, we don't want to offend people, right? So, We don't talk about hell. In fact, let's just not talk about sin. 
Let's just not do it. It's so, it's such a downer. Let's talk about good things. Okay, maybe we can talk about mistakes, not sin, mistakes. You know, like you were doing a math problem and you got the wrong answer. We laugh at that, but that is exactly what this world is doing. And unfortunately, that is what we do every day when we run up against an unbeliever in some social setting and we start backing off about what we really believe. You are the salt. You are what is stopping the decay. You have no choice about being the salt But you can lose your saltiness, your effectiveness, if you allow the things of this world to dilute the salt. And then guess what? You're good for nothing but to be put outside to kill the grass, to kill the weeds. You know, you throw a little salt out there to kill things. In ancient societies, you take over the bad guy's country, and if you really hate them, You take mounds of salt and you put it out in their fields because all it does is kill stuff. It's not stopping the society from going bad. It's simply being trampled on by people. So, there you have it. You, not government, not education. I might even add, I have to be very careful with this one. I might even add the church. Why would I do that? You see, there's two problems that we run into as believers oftentimes. One of the problems that you see a lot of people have is, well, I don't need the church. Okay? I'm a good Christian. It's me and God. I'm going to go out in the woods and I'm going to worship God. Well, by all means, go out in the woods and worship God. But you also need a community of believers, and that's the church. So one dilemma that we run into sometimes is thinking, I don't need the church. But the other dilemma we run into is to begin to think it's the church's job to witness to people, not mine. As if the church was some entity that existed apart from you and me, the believers. When he is saying this right now, he is telling this to his disciples. And at this point, there's really not that many of them. Like four, okay, that we know by name. There's no institutional church. There is no body. He's telling them, you are the salt of the earth. So if you begin to think, okay, Pastor Ted has to be the salt of the earth because he gets paid to do it. (laughs) Well, he does get paid to do it, and he ought to be the salt of the earth. But it's your job, too. You can't sit there and think, okay, I'll let those important people at church do it. No, this is you and this is me. You and I are the salt of the earth. But but I I just don't feel like I can have that great an impact in the world. I hate to tell you this, you probably won't. When did we begin to think 
that in order to be obedient to the word of God, we had to be Billy Graham. Billy Graham is Billy Graham. Billy Graham was faithful to accomplish what God told him to do. You're probably not Billy Graham. But this afternoon, you're going to talk to somebody. You're going to meet some stranger at the store. You're going to meet some stranger in your family. I don't know. You're going to meet people. You're going to talk to people. And you may be the only salt and light that person will come in contact with. And you have no idea what your impact will be. Wait, are they going to pray to accept Christ at that moment and become disciples? And I have no idea. None. That's not your problem. Your problem is to be salt and light wherever God has placed you. I took some classes one time just for fun, and this philosophy professor, good Catholic philosophy professor, and he said his job, this was his job, was to save Western civilization one person at a time. That's all you and I can do is to present the gospel one person at a time. To be salt, to be light, one person at a time. That's all we can do. Don't sit there and think, okay, I'm going to form this great organization. I'm going to go change the world. Maybe you will change the world. I don't want to discourage you from changing the world. If God's called you to do it, go do it. But the odds are he's put you somewhere He's put you in contact with someone, and that's where you're supposed to deal. In your circle of acquaintances, in your circle of friends, in your circle of enemies, you may be it. Be it. Be the light. Be the salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We are not dealing here with losing your salvation. We as a church believe that you cannot lose your salvation. It's not, I lost my saltiness and now I have lost my salvation, woe is me. No, that's not what we're talking about. But I will guarantee you, if you're a pastor and you run off with the church secretary and dump your wife and kids, you are going to lose your influence. It's just real. So when you enter the public arena and you act just like the world does, you speak the same language. I actually had some people tell me one time, this was when I was in high school and college, we'd go play football. And we had the unbelievers and we had the believers. And one of the believers says, you know, I've got to cuss like they do, otherwise they won't listen to me. (laughs) You know, that doesn't make any sense, but we were high schoolers, right? It didn't make any sense. But we have people who believe. Anyway. You are the light of the world. Light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Light. We live in a society, y'all don't, we live in a society that is bombarded with light. I mean, let's face it. You've got to go into the boondocks to find a place that's just not permeated with street lights, house lights, car lights, building lights. We have lights everywhere. But imagine an ancient community. It gets dark. It gets really dark. Dark, dark. And the light, the fire, the lamp, the candle, whatever it is, can be seen from a long way away because... It's really dark. We are to be that light. What does light do? We talked about what salt does. What does light do? This is real easy. It drives away the darkness. That's what it does. John chapter 1. The light came into the world, but the world rejected it because the world loved the darkness more than it loved the light. We are not talking about physical light. We're talking about a spiritual light that comes into the world to reveal the darkness, to eliminate the darkness, to show the things that have been hidden in the darkness. And that's what we are called to do. Now, I might add, Jesus later is going to say what? I, not us, I am the light of the world. Well, if Jesus is the light of the world, we're off the hook. We can go back to our monastery. We can go back to the woods and hide from society, right? Jesus has got it taken care of. But that's not what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. And he says, I am the light of the world. So what's the answer? You all do know, right, that the moon does not glow on its own. You took a science class somewhere that taught you that the moon itself generates no light then why is it last night when I'm walking through the park, working on this lesson, there's a full moon up there that I can clearly see because the moon is reflecting the light off the sun and provides light to us. You ready for this? You know where this is going, right? Jesus is the light. And we are the reflections of that light. But there's a problem. In the same way that I, being the salt, can dilute that saltiness by interacting in such a way with the world that I lose that ability to do the function of salt, I in the world can stop illuminating anything. The 
The first question is, how do we do that? The second question is, why would we do that? Why would we do that? Well, let's answer that question. It's quite easy. We saw it last week. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and other, utter all kinds of evil against you. Let's have a show of hands. Who wants to be persecuted? <laughs> we don't. We don't want to be persecuted. So I'm sitting here in my little mountain cabin with my light that can be seen for a long way away and people come because they see the light and those people don't like me and so what I decide to do is I decide to take this light and put something over the top of it. So I take my tin can and I put it over the light. What happens? Well, it does put it out. That would be the first thing. But I could cure that, right? Punch a few holes in the can at discrete places so they don't generate any light. Punch some holes in the can and voila, I have a light that nobody can see. Question. What good is a light that nobody can see? It's not good for anything. I am commanded in this passage to take my light, put it on a lampstand in the middle of the room. Okay? We're not living in a world with all these lights, let's say. And that light is the light for the whole room. I am to put it in a prominent place so that it can do the function that light is supposed to do. And that's what you and I are called to do. Now, let me put in a little caveat just to make sure. Remember in last week's lesson we were talking about persecuted for righteousness sake? When people say bad things against you falsely? What we mean by that is if you're just being a jerk, you remember this discussion? And people persecute you because you're just being a jerk? There's no value in that. Okay, You're not getting brownie points for being a jerk. But when you are doing what God told you to do and you are persecuted, then Jesus says you are blessed. So, we are to take our light and we are to put it on the lampstand in the middle of the room. Now, you always run into a difficulty in the scripture when you take metaphors and you push them too far. But let's push this one a little bit more. What's your room? Well, the room is the circle of influence that you have. What is it? I don't know. I don't know who you hang out with, who you communicate with, who you deal with on a regular basis. But that is the room that God has given you. That is where you are supposed to let your light shine. You are to be salt and you are to be light, knowing that there are going to be those who are going to react negatively to it. In fact, the scripture almost guarantees it. Back over to the book of John. The world didn't love my light. They're not going to like your light. Get used to it. That's just a fact. We just finished, once again, in our sermon series, working through the reformers. And guess what? 
They presented the gospel to the world, and the gospel had its effect in the lives of some, and there were others that wanted to burn them at the stake, and some of them were burnt at the stake. We cannot let fear keep us from being the salt and the light wherever it is that God has put us. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Here it is. This is what you're supposed to do. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Flip over a chapter to chapter 6. We'll have a discussion about this when we get to chapter 6, but I just want to give a hint of it, okay? Verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For when... For then you will have no reward for your fa- from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, which is it? Am I to do my acts of righteousness so that people will see them? Or am I to do my acts of righteousness so nobody sees it? Isn't that what these two passages are telling me? Chapter 6 says, don't do your right- acts of righteousness before other people. Because then you've got all the rewards you're going to get. And it goes on to talking about praying, fasting, and other spiritual disciplines. But in chapter 5, it says, do your acts of righteousness so that people will see and give glory and honor to God. Now, it's your attitude. Well, it's more than just an attitude, but it is at least your attitude. Okay? You see the difference, right? I am going to do my act of righteousness so that you'll know what a good guy I am. Okay? I want to make sure that everybody knows that I'm the one who did these great things and God is really blessed to have me on his team. One of the things mentioned in chapter 6 is giving. And I'll tell this story later, but I do remember my mother telling me, you know, her church growing up, you know, you'd put something in the plate and the usher would go, John Doe just gave a hundred (laughs) bucks. Now that was to encourage, right? Other people. But who's getting the glory? John Doe. We are to do our acts of righteousness in such a way that God gets all the glory. How do we do that? Well, it's interesting because, and as I said, we'll talk about this in depth when we get to chapter 6, but there are acts of righteousness that are done totally in private. Nobody knows what happens. There are acts of righteousness by their very nature are public events. Preaching is a public activity. It is. Our goal should always be to work toward this direction. Instead, our goal is often to work this side so that we get more glory. When at all possible, do it in such a way that God knows. Well, if 
I do it in such a secret way, the world won't know. Trust me, the world will know. They will. The world is going to know. But whatever you do, do your act of righteousness in such a way that God gets all the glory. What does that mean? Well, first off, it means you're doing something. What is this act of righteousness? Oh, well, that's easy. Preaching, right? That's an act of righteousness. Standing up here teaching, that's an act of righteousness. No, it's not. Taking food to the next-door neighbor who's sick, and nobody in this class is ever going to know you did it. God knows. Your neighbor knows. The neighbor across the street probably knows. We are so fixated on the big public events. I had a rally, and five billion people came to Christ. No, they didn't. And no, that's not what you're called to do. Now, don't turn down the five billion if they show up. (laughs) Don't knock it. You are called to do your acts of righteousness. You are called to do something. We have this long discussion that goes on and on forever. It was what the Reformation was about. And that is whether that doing something is a necessary component of being saved. We have to do the acts of righteousness or we're not saved. We have to do enough to merit to earn our salvation. And we know that's not true. We started the Beatitudes with blessed are the the poor in spirit. They know they can't do it. You will do acts of righteousness because you know that your salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. And then we go do what God tells us to do. And those are the acts of righteousness. They are the result, not the cause, of our salvation. So, what do these acts of righteousness look like? Well, we could start with the easy list, right? Where shall we start? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's a good place to start. Let's start right there. But let's broaden it, okay? What does it mean to do an act of righteousness? What does Christ say? Inasmuch as you have given a cup of water to somebody in need, you've given it to me. Huh. We are to meet the needs of those around us. And once again, Yes, you should contribute to meeting the needs of the people in Africa. But if you're taking care of the needs of the people in Africa and you're shunning the neighbor next door, there's a problem. Okay? Sometimes we find it much easier, much easier to love the person we've never met than to love the person we have to live with. Don't think about it too long. It will get you in trouble. There, there really is no limit to what the acts of righteousness are that you can do because you 
are in a unique place to do unique things for a unique set of people that God has brought you in contact with. I am in a unique place to deal with the problems and issues of the people that I come in contact with. And the main point is this. Whatever you do to the glory of God is an act of righteousness being done. And when you do that, when you reflect the glory of God, you are being the light of the world. Now, there's a negative side of this, though. What did the light, Jesus, coming into the darkness of the world do? It pointed out things that they shouldn't be doing. We are called to proclaim the truth. We are called to proclaim the truth in love, but we are called to proclaim the truth. There is a time and a place where we have to say, that's not right. It's not. It goes against God's word. And that's difficult in our society, a society that has been taught that the highest, the only virtue is tolerance. I'm going to put up with whatever it is you do whenever. Now, for some reason, that virtue of tolerance only goes one way, but that's a whole different story. One of the purposes of the light is to show the world that the world is in need of a savior. And that's where people begin to worry, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Question, would you rather they be offended or would you rather them just to go happily down the road to hell? The illustration that I like to use because it's so stupid is I wake up one night and I look across the street and the house is on fire. Now, my first plan is, okay, I'm going to go bang on the door, make sure they're awake, get them out of the house. But you know, I know that guy over there. He works hard all day. He needs his sleep. I would hate to disturb him, right? I would hate to interrupt a good night's sleep. I mean, you and I both know how hard it is to have a good night's sleep, right? You wouldn't want to interrupt that. You might drag him out of the house and he might be mad at you because you woke him up. It's a stupid illustration because we know what we would do. We'd tell our wife to call 911 and I'm over there banging on the door to wake up anybody that's in there. Yet, in a world that is going to hell, we don't want to disturb them. You and I are called to be the salt and the light of the world. Excuse me? We are the salt and the light of the world. There is no plan B. For some unknown reason, God chose to use us. I haven't figured that one out yet. The government has its job, but it's not to be the salt and the light. Education has its job, but it's not to be the salt and the light. You and I are called to be the salt and the light. 
To do that, we have to be separate from the world. We have to be different. We don't have to be obnoxious, but we have to be different. So that we can reflect the light and the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're called to do. And you think, that's really hard. Actually, it's not that hard. I tried to remove all the hard part. I didn't stand up here and tell you to go change the world. Now, if you have the opportunity, go do it. All I want you to do, all God calls you to do, is to be the salt and the light wherever God has planted you. That's all. Don't worry about the rest. God will take care of it. Now, if you have the opportunity, go do it. If God calls you to go on missionary journeys, go do them. If God has called you to preach to the world, go do it. But that's God's decision, not yours. Don't worry about it. Be the salt and the light wherever God has planted you. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the privilege to represent you to the world around us. I pray, Lord, that we would not let the world dilute us in such a way that we become ineffective. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.